God, take our ears and hear through them. Uh, take our minds and think through them. And take our hearts. Take our hearts and set them on fire. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. Well, um, COVID uh, keeps scrambling our lives. You know, we thought it was safe enough for us to gather back in person for worship. Uh, we thought it was important enough for kids to learn in classrooms and school. We thought it was certain enough that we could plan trips and travel. And now uh, here we are back with Zoom Church again. Um, a lot of students in Portland, several schools in Portland have had to revert to remote learning. And, and two out of the four people on our church staff have had to cancel vacations. So I'm pretty sure I speak for all of us when I say I've had more than enough of this pandemic. So this morning, uh, we are talking about enough. Uh, for a while now, we've been talking about what a new normal can look like. We've been talking about lenses for us, particularly here as a congregation, lenses for, for looking at the ways that we are called to live uh, as followers of Jesus uh, whenever this pandemic winds down. And so we've talked in the past about reverence, reverence as a way of, of seeing our lives, of, of seeing all of creation as imbued with, with the holiness, with the beauty, with the life, uh, with the love of God. And we've talked about density, about looking for ways to, to deepen and to strengthen our relationships, our connections to each other. And then last week, I talked about equity, about seeking the kind of justice that the Bible talks about. Justice not as what we deserve or what we do, but justice as what everyone needs in order to thrive, what everyone needs in order to flourish. Well, that commitment to do justice, to seek that kind of equity, uh, inevitably raises a basic question, and that is, how much is enough? How much is enough for me? How much is enough for my neighbors? How much is enough for everyone so that they can thrive? And I have to recognize that I can only speak about this question of enough from the vantage point of too much. And when I think about enough, I'm, I'm not worried if I, at the end of the month I can have enough to, to feed my family. I'm not worried about whether I'm going to have enough to keep a roof over our heads. Um, when I think about enough, you know, when our girls were younger, it was, are we putting enough into their college saving plan so they can go to a really good school? And now it's, you know, is there enough for us to retire? I just, this week uh, in the mail came the, the uh, quarterly statements for our IRAs and our 401ks. And I was looking at those numbers pretty carefully. Is it enough yet? When's it going to be enough? How long till it's enough? I suspect that's true for most of us uh, in this congregation. The question is, do we have enough salary? Do we have enough saved? Do we have enough safety to protect all of the stuff that we acquire and accrue? And when we ask those questions, the truth is the answer often seems not quite enough. You know, Nelson Rockefeller, who was the heir to the, you know, the great Rockefeller uh, fortune, was once asked, how much is enough? And he famously, uh, or maybe infamously, answered just a little bit more. And, you know, it's easy to sneer at, at that kind of avarice, um, but that's often how it feels for us. And we're all rich. Whether you're a Rockefeller or not, we're rich. Compared to the rest of the world, I would wager that all of us on this, just by virtue of being in the United States, all of us are in the top one or two or 3% of wealthiest people in the world. But still, man, just, just a little bit more, just a little bit more money, just a little bit more savings, just a little bit more house. The thing is, we tend to think of this question of enough as being primarily quantitative. 
Is my paycheck enough? Am I putting enough into that 529 college saving plan for my kids? Are IRAs, 401ks, are they going to be enough? And to be clear, those questions matter. But enough, before it's a quantitative question, is at its core a qualitative choice. Because enough, that sense of enough, is determined essentially by what we believe constitutes the good life. So Anthony DeMello, who's an Indian, uh, a priest in India, rather, told a story once about a, a wealthy man from, from the global north going to vacation in the global south. And he was staying at a seaside uh, village. And one day he was out walking on the beach and he came across a fisherman who was lounging beside his boat. And this, this industrious northerner said, well, why aren't you out fishing? And the fisherman said, well, I already caught enough fish for the day. And the northerner said, well, why don't you catch some more? And the fisherman said, well, what would I do with them? And he said, well, if you caught more fish, you would have more money. If you had more money, you could put a motor on your boat and you could go farther out to sea and you could catch more fish and you would have even more money. And then you could buy nylon nets and then you would catch even more fish. You would have even more money and then you could maybe buy another boat. In fact, you might even have a fleet of boats. And if you work hard enough and catch enough fish, you'll become a rich man like me. And the fisherman said, well, what would I do then? And this northerner smiling said, well, then you could really enjoy the good life. At which point the fisherman looked at, up at him and said, and what do you think I'm doing right now? <laughs> Enough is determined by what we believe constitutes the good life. So when you think about the good life, what does that look like? The scriptures hold a vision of the good life. And it's closer to what the fisherman in the south has, has in mind than that rich man from the north. You can hear that vision of the good life in the, in the words of the prophet Micah that we heard at the start of the service. The prophet Micah can foresee a time when everyone shall sit under their own vines and under their own fig trees. Everyone shall lounge beside their own fishing boats and no one shall make them fray. That's the vision of equity that we talked about last week, where everyone has what they need to thrive so that no one has to live with the fear that they're not going to have enough. It's what Jesus called the kingdom of God, where the poor are blessed and the ones who mourn are comforted and hungry are fed. It's what Martin Luther King, on this weekend in which we remember his life, his work, his faith, his witness, Martin Luther King called it the beloved community. That's the biblical vision of the good life. And it's a vision that asks us to trust that in the world God created, there is enough. There's enough for everyone. There's enough of our daily bread. There's enough grace, enough beauty, enough kindness, enough compassion, enough joy, enough peace, enough love. It asks us to trust that God is like a father who will give good things to those who ask him. That God is like a mother who cares for, who provides, who protects her children. Creation is imbued with enough so that everyone can have what they need to thrive and no one has to be afraid. Now, clearly, there are inequities, great inequities in our world, in our city, in our lives. So if that's the good life, then that vision ought to determine how uh, we define enough, enough for ourselves, enough for our neighbors who we are called to love. It ought to cause us to think and to rethink um, how much we keep and how much we give away, how much we use and how much we share, how much we save and how much we trust. 
It ought to cause us to, re to think and, and, and to rethink about our priorities, our ambitions, our sense of purpose, um, how we spend our money, how we spend our time, how we spend our lives. If the good life is everyone having what they need to thrive, how much is enough? I have to confess that there comes a point when the implications of that question become overwhelming for me because the needs in our world, the needs in our city are overwhelming. It's easy to get weary. It's easy to get worried. Um, I start to wonder what difference anything makes anyway. And at that point, it's easy to become defensive or apathetic or sometimes just drop straight into cynicism. I don't always have enough, enough wisdom, enough courage, enough perseverance, enough hope in me to keep pressing on. And so for me, it's helpful to remember some words that Richard Foster wrote. Richard Foster is a Quaker um, author, theologian. He wrote a book that was uh, meaningful for me in the past. It was called The uh, Celebration of Disciplines. Richard Foster wrote the Christian life or, or the good life that, that Micah could foresee, that Jesus promises. The good life comes not by gritting our teeth, but by falling in love. It comes not by trying harder. It comes harder not by doubling down, not by working ourselves to a bone, even to the bone, even for the sake of doing justice, and then feeling guilty about what we can't do, what we can't accomplish. It's the love of God that makes this vision of the good life possible. It's the love of God that strengthens our faith, that sustains our hope. I have to say, for me, falling in love with God is, is less like falling in love with my wife. It's less like romantic, but for me, it's much more like falling into the ocean. Now, not the Pacific Ocean here out on the Oregon coast, because that is way too cold and way too rough. But if you've ever been to San Diego, I used to live in Southern California, or if you've ever been to the Gulf Coast, or if you've ever had a chance to swim in the waters off of Hawaii, that's what falling into God's love feels like to me. Falling into those crystalline, blue, deep, invigorating waters of the ocean, knowing that the water will hold me up, knowing that the water is deeper than I can possibly imagine. That's what it's like. And that's always the invitation to fall into the ocean of God's love and know that it will hold you, that it will support you, that it will surround you, that it will sustain you. And knowing that, that, that there is enough, enough love for you, enough love for me, enough love for our neighbors, Enough love for all of creation. The good life comes not just by gritting our teeth and working harder. It comes by falling into the ocean of God's love. And it's also important, though, to recognize that this, this biblical vision of the good life stands at odds with, with our dominant cultural definition. The conventional wisdom is that the good life means more, newer, bigger, cooler, faster, better. And so we make more, we buy more, we save more, we protect more. But that version of the good life makes it hard to feel like we ever have enough. Makes it hard to feel like we ever have enough money. Makes it hard to feel like we ever have enough time. It can leave us feeling like, like Alice in Wonderland. There's a passage from a Through the Looking Glass where Lewis Carroll writes about Alice and the Queen. They were running hand in hand, and the queen went so fast that it was all Alice could do to keep up with her. And still the queen kept crying faster, faster. The most curious part of the thing was that however fast they went, they never seemed to pass anything. In our country, said Alice, 
you generally get to somewhere else if you ran very fast for a long time as we've been doing. A slow sort of country, said the queen. Now here you see, it takes all the running you can do to keep in the same place. If you want to get somewhere else, you must run at least twice as fast. Have you ever felt like you're living in the queen's country? Run as fast as you can, work as hard as you can, try as hard as you can, barely keep up. Never enough time. Well, the biblical vision of the good life is different. It's not like the queen's country. You don't, you don't, you don't get there by running at least twice as fast. It's like a whole different country with a whole different conception of time. See, in our, in our culture, in our country, in our economy, time is primarily viewed as a commodity. It's something to be used. And so we're always on the clock. We're always answering emails. We're always checking um, social media. We're always replying to, to, to text because that's how you take this commodity of time and turn it into money. That's how you use it. But in the alternate vision of the good life, time is a gift and there is enough. There's enough for the things that matter. Enough that we don't always have to be on the clock. We don't always have to be producing. We don't always have to be efficient. We don't always have to be effective. There's enough that we can stop running. There's enough that we can even rest. You know, in the creation account, the book of Genesis, God works six days. God works pretty hard, does good work. In fact, does very good work. On the seventh day, God rests. And ever since, the people of God have been given the gift of Sabbath rest because that's the rhythm of time in the good life that God means for us all and for all of creation. And so if you haven't already, I want to encourage you to incorporate Sabbath rest into the rhythm of your week. Doesn't have to be on Sundays. I work on Sundays, right? And don't let it be that kind of rigid, restrictive vision that some of us had when we were growing up and Sabbath meant being quiet, wearing hard brown shoes, not having any fun. Sabbath rest is meant to be restful and it's best to be renewing. So find a time when you can turn all the screens off. Find a time when you don't have any to-do list in front of you. Find a time when you can leave aside the worries of tomorrow. Find that kind of spacious time of Sabbath where there's room for friends. There's room for being outside. There's room for wandering. And there's room for wondering. When you're out walking, when you're having a cup of tea, sitting by the window looking out, no to-do list in front of you. Take time to wonder. What's this vision of the good life look like for you, for your family, for your neighbors, for the ways that we live together in this world? Wonder, um, rather than a busy life, what will a full life look like for you? A life full of meaning, a life full of purpose, a life full of compassion, a life full of hope, a life surrounded, surrounded by, immersed in, held by God's love. Even though our lives have been scrambled again, let us trust that in this world God created, there is, there always is, and there always will be enough. Thanks be to God. Amen.